CougarFan.com, Rise and Shout Podcast, Episode 440. Get all of your BYU sports news at CougarFan.com. Matt, before we begin, we're going to do something that we typically don't do, which is be a little serious here to start. And um, we'd like to honor Justin Sweeney's father, Douglas, to start out the podcast. Um, Douglas passed away this, uh, probably many of you who um, are on Twitter, active on Twitter, you may also follow Justin and and uh, have seen him talk about that. But his father passed away this past week with um, COVID-induced um, stroke. He gave me a little background and said we could honor his father on this, but I think what he said is, and so now I'm quoting Justin in his direct message to me, which he gave us permission to use, is that the BYU theme, Love One Another, he can't think of a more fitting embodiment of the of that principle than his dad. And he said even that weekend when his dad got sick that he was serving and helping other people um, online and in other ways and doing that. So we'd just like to honor Douglas Sweeney, the original Sweeney, as he uh, put it in uh, one of his messages to me. So uh, Doug Sweeney we uh, and Justin and your family, we our prayers go out to you and we uh, mourn with you for your loss. So we'll try to now go into our normal stuff, Matt. All right. All right, we, we love you, Sweeney. Let's we love you, Sweeney. Show. Yeah, let's, let's do, do the show. show. In honor, uh, this the, we dedicate this show to Doug Sweeney and uh, and to Justin and his family. So, Matt, it's time to hop into a depressing version of the tweet bag. Wasn't tweet a bag? great weekend no. for no, BYU sports. Uh, but let's start with some non-sports stuff, okay, to get us in the mood. Are you ready for this? Yeah, this is this what we always do it this way, and you know, people either love this or hate it. Yeah, well, if, this is this is part of this is just part of the deal when you get on the Rise and Shout podcast. If you hate it, I don't know. Which, into the tweet bag. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what you're doing. Still listening. If you hate this part of it, I, I mean, I, you can keep listening. I'm, it's not like last week when I told people to stop listening to the show. By the That's way, a very specific type of person. By the way, here's another reason to stop listening to the show. Oh, if, here we go. If you are adding on Twitter or direct messaging Lisa Wilson or any other family member of a BYU player, you can stop listening to the show too. Yes, fact. Now, granted, I think most of that was coming from uh, Coastal Carolina, Utah fans and some others. But if any BYU fans, and I I even saw a legitimate tweet early on in the BYU game that maybe Romney would be a better option. Are people insane? Like, that's yeah, insane. That wasn't the problem, by the way. Oh, no, no, that was not the we're problem. We're going to get into we'll get that, that later. All right. Listen, I'll even say this. If you're a BYU fan and you're tweeting at the family of an opponent. Yes, like, same thing. Yes. You should also just tur- hit stop stop now, unsubscribe. We're not interested in talking to you. Yeah, and. You, you need to get a life. And it's, delete it's the. like that Michael Jordan meme. Stop it. Get some yeah. help. Yeah, get some help. Delete your Twitter. If you are, if, if you found the contact information for number 94's family on Twitter and sent them messages, then get help, right? Get help. That's not cool. All right. So we said non-sports stuff when we started with sports stuff. So we're wildly inconsistent on this we're show. We're all over the place. All over. We're, uh, that's part of, we're consistently wildly inconsistent. Correct. So that makes us consistent. 
It's a weird paradox, isn't yeah, it? It is. All right. Uh, Nick Aletto on Twitter, that's at in Aletto, said, Hey, sounds like a discussion for the podcast. He was responding to another tweet. A maple bar can have a strip of bacon on top, so it's not the meat factor that makes a donut a donut. He was responding to a, a tweet that said, from Fox on a Box, is a corn dog just a salty donut? Now, here's the thing. Fox on a Box, I believe, is a Utah fan, and just this weekend said he thought uh, Wilson could play in the pros. So I don't know if we can trust his judgment, honestly, on this, <laughs> or anything else. When was the last time we heard from Fox on a Box? It's been a while. It's been a while uh, since he's been on the show. I, um, I don't think he goes back to, like, like, early blog days for us, but... Um, yeah, so let's talk about this for though for just a second. I've had I'm a big fan of the maple bar. Sure. Okay? Big fan. And I you. used to I, I remember there was a semester I had a class uh, just steps away from I think what they call the Twilight Zone now. Maybe it was called the Twilight Zone then, but that it's it, anyway, you could get right in you know, you could get there was uh, snacks and things right inside the bookstore in that in that corner um, facing the back entrance to the library on campus. And I would – it was a summer term or maybe it was spring, so you'd have that 10-minute break between the two hours. During that 10-minute break, I'd go in there. I'd get a maple bar and a chocolate milk, and I'd bring it back to class. Like, sure, sure, I weighed more than I wanted to when I graduated from college. <laughs> but I, had, I ate a lot of those maple bars. I, I love the maple bar. Do you and put, I thought I and – and you know what else I love? I love bacon. Do you ever put and bacon on your maple? A couple years ago, I went to Duck Donuts. I got the the maple glazed donut with the sprinkles of bacon on the top. It's quite delicious. It's going to be so good. I hated it. What? I hated it. What I will is never wrong eat with that you? Again. I will never eat that again. Uh, you just D- disappointed Duck, don't me. Don't get me wrong. Duck Donuts makes some great donuts. But that's that was that was not it for me. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm for me. disappointed in you. I don't know what to tell you. Disappointed. Uh, a corn dog is not a salty donut. It's a kolache with a stick in it. Done. Kolache, yeah. yeah and uh, it does not, it's still a donut if you put a little bacon on the maple bar. So, uh, Randy Whittle off of what Facebook. About, what about bacon in a, in a maple milkshake? Uh, it's a milkshake with some bacon in it. I don't, I don't understand. That's a thing. I believe you. Bacon's good yeah. in almost anything. Have you ever tried bacon on vanilla ice cream? Gross. Oh, it's so good, dude. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Bacon, bacon makes everything better. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I've I've shared this on the show, right, that my son is allergic to, like, lots of food. Everything. Milk, eggs, uh, dairy. I already said that. That's the same as milk. Uh, right. Nuts, um, wheat, and oats. Okay, so he's limited. People ask me what he eats. He eats vegetables, fruits, and meat. He was at, we did like Thanksgiving, and he was asked to write down into a thankful jar. You know what he put down? Meat. Bacon. <laughs> That's what he was grateful for. My, my four-year-old son oh, is grateful for bacon. I love this kid. I we, love that kid. We have a lot of bacon uh, around here, which I d- never complain about. Um, anyway, so Randy Whittle on Facebook, and if you want to join the conversation on Facebook, you can do it at facebook.com slash He says, I don't feel like talking about the game, so what are your top three Christmas movies? And thanks for the recommendation to watch Klaus on Netflix. Fantastic and fun little movie. Now, we talked about Christmas movies a couple of weeks ago, but 
do you have a you we listed what we watch every year but do you have a for you personally not the fam the top three do you have a top three uh, if I if I if I wanted to list a top three, um, what's interesting is I think about the what we talked about on the show. I don't know that the like I said I watch Elf every year, but I don't yeah. know that it's a top three for me. I don't think it's a top three for me. We just watched it the other night, and I love that movie, but it's probably not a top three for me. So what's your top three then, buddy? Um, you just answered what wasn't your job three, but that I was really not Randy's like question. Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a Wonderful Life. It's uh, those are both good. And I don't, I, I struggle with a third one because I want to say the original White Christmas, but I, I feel like I'm forcing that one. I feel like I'm forcing it. I th- think you. I don't know if you're forcing it. I don't know but, how much you like it. But I'm not going to say Die Hard or Gremlins or any of those ones because uh, I don't even necessarily watch those every year. Um, but yeah, I'm going to stick with that list. I'm going to stick with that list. But how about this? How about this? You know the movie A Christmas Story? Yes. Is it plausible that I did not see that movie until after I was married? Yes, it is very plausible. We did not watch it in our house growing up. So I I believe that what happened with me is that I did not watch it in my house growing up. And um, well, I, while my wife and I were dating, this came up. And uh, I don't think we watched it that Christmas we were engaged. I think it was at the first Christmas we were married. But it, anyway, it's a classic. But you know, I, I've always loved are those stop motion ones like Rudolph and, and Frosty. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love those as a kid. I love those. Kids like and them. I love showing them to the kids. So my top three, not in this necessarily this order, would be A Muppet Christmas Carol, similar to you. I, I guess that's just the thing we watched in our house growing up, right? It was a tradition of sorts. It's a Wonderful Life. Even though you can make an argument that that's like a lot of holiday movies isn't necessarily a Christmas movie, right? Most of it does not happen at Christmas, but I think it's a Christmas movie, right? But I'm just saying, like, you could watch that movie any time of year. You know what I mean? No? Sure. You're sure. Not, not rolling with that. Um, and then my third, I, I really debate, I really debated this, but if you asked me to just take three of Christmas movies with me and I could only survive on those three, it's got to be the original Grinch or or uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, Charlie Brown Christmas is good. Um, but uh, Klaus... Klaus is close to me after these last two years of watching it. Uh, I really liked that movie both times I've seen it. So um, I just think really it's funny that, that we both picked the same top two. Like, without question, those are the first two. Oh, to, to me, I mean, uh, I love It's a Wonderful Life. I, it's masterful. It's just a well-done story and movie. And he's such a great character. You know what I mean? Like, he's flawed. He's not idealized or perfect you know um mm-hmm. it's just he's he feels very real like he's a good guy trying to do good things but he also makes some really ugly mistakes in that movie right um and it's oh, yeah. and it's okay like in the end you see that he's I, I don't know if a changed man he just comes back to himself maybe that's the best way to put it i love that movie um and the, there's a, there's a, 
uh, there's several Christmas Carol versions that I like besides the Muppets ones, but I feel like the Muppet one does a great job of being funny, but also actually capturing the spirit of Charles Dickens' story, which I read every Christmas, the actual text. Really? Every year. I've done that for, I don't know, probably at least a decade or more. Um, it's a be- it's a great story. You should read it if you haven't read it recently. It's it's a fast read. Anyway, all right. So on to BYU sports, and we only had one basketball question, and it did not come from Adam in Kansas. It came from Don in Texas. Oh, Don in Texas. So brother Don says basketball question: Was the USC game just a bad day that happens sometimes? Odds on this team making the NCAA tournament. So, Matt, let's talk about last week, the crushing loss to USC. They come back and beat a what we believe is a good St. John's team. And then win what is too close of a game against a mediocre to worse Utah State team. What do we make of, I mean, we were all a week ago, like, you know, very, very high on them. Has your opinion on the BYU basketball team changed in the past seven days? No, it hasn't. I, I think what we saw happen here was exactly what we thought was going to happen. I, I think you your exact words on, when we talked about this last week was where your words were, uh, they're going to split these two games with between USC and St. John's. I don't know which one they'll win or lose, but they'll split them, which is exactly what they did. Um, you know, And then to see the team bounce back the way they did the, the next night, um, I, I – my opinion about this team and what I think they're capable of doing remains unchanged. Yeah, I I think in basketball especially, you have to take, you have to, you have to have some patience early on. Yes, they needed to win that game against St. John's for the resume. If they beat San Diego State here upcoming, that would be a massive boost for their resume. And anytime you can beat San Diego State is a good thing for everybody. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, p- by the way, did you even know Brady Hoke was the San Diego State coach? Again, I did. I, 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 did. I don't I know how I, I missed that. Because I, I, I just don't care, right? Um, so anyway, uh, San Diego State, you know, that would be a big win. Um, I, I would say to answer a second question, I feel the same about their chances. I think they've got a better than 50% chance of making the tournament. Without, oh, this team's going to the tournament. Without winning, you know, the conference tournament. They're not going to beat Gonzaga. I think they lose to Gonzaga three times. Yeah. I would hope. I hope they they, they could beat him once. But Gonzaga might be good this year. I've heard rumors. Yeah, the word on the street is that they're a decent team. Word on the streets, they're a good team. All right, so now we're going to talk about the Coastal Carolina game. Really? Yeah, and I've broken it into... The game, then we're going to talk about how much of a gut punch this was. Then we're going to talk about that infamous play against Sack. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. And then we'll talk about some of the rest of the season stuff. So let's first get into the ins and outs of this game. Nicoletto makes his second appearance in the tweet bag. Uh, and of course, if you want to tweet at us, you can do that at BYU underscore right shop. He says, so dot, 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 New Year's six question mark. Hashtag pain bag, hashtag tweet bag, hashtag climb on in, and with a face palm emoji. Thank you, Nick, for 
making us feel worse. Uh, Johnny Ashton on Facebook says, On Saturday, did we get beat by a better team in Coastal Carolina, or did we shoot ourselves in the foot with too many mistakes? Can my answer be yes to both of those? Um, yeah, it, it can be. Um, what would your answer be? Uh, we, we got beat. That That's the way I would describe this game. We got beat. Now, do I want to say this team's generally better than we are? No, I, I think we're pretty closely matched. You know, we play that we play that team ten times. You know, the, we don't lose ten times, um, but we got beat. They beat us in the trenches uh, on both sides of the football pretty soundly, um, and uh, we did not play sound. We didn't play sound assignment football defensively. Uh, we found ourselves out of position, uh, interior linemen out of position, people playing the edge out of position. Um, and, uh, you know, we weren't able to get, we weren't able to get things going on offense either. I mean, we just, we just got beat. Yeah. I, so they, they were better than us Saturday night. And if we played them again this Saturday, they might be better than us again. People have made a lot of noise about the defense. The defense did exactly what I thought they were going to do. They gave up about the same number of points that I thought they would. I thought Coastal Carolina would score around three touchdowns and that's what happened. And people want to, oh, they gave up 281 yards. This is a good offense. Yes, could they have done better in the trenches? I, yes, everything you said is absolutely true. We scored 17 points. That's why we lost, right? And we we just, to your point, got beat. We also made a bunch of dumb mistakes, unforced errors in several cases, right? To be fair, so did they in a couple of cases. The fumble, for example, uh, that we recovered and did jack squat with. All right. That's a huge tell. Like you get a turnover and can't convert it into points. That's a huge tell. I I can't I know I I know I say this every time. You do. That is one you of the do. most telling statistics as you're watching a game well, as to what the outcome may be. You get in you get an extra possession uh in a in a one score game and we lost, right? I mean, it, like you said, uh, again, if it's a if it's a blowout it doesn't matter one way or the other, right? But in a close game, I'm I'm completely with you. You you don't convert that. It it it, uh, it is a big deal. So Spence, that's at Texas Coog fan on Twitter, says rate these plays in percent probability that with a different decision BYU wins. All right. So he's got six plays. And by the way, he did hashtag tweet bag hashtag cry on in. Lots of crying today. And here we mean a different. He means I think he really means a different outcome. Yes. Because right, some of these aren't decisions. Some of these are just, that's the way the play went down. Correct, correct. Yes, I think you you are, that is correct. That is correct. So the first one is Rex hold on the first offensive play. Say that's not a hold. Say it's a clean block, Matt. Percent chance that BYU wins if that play goes for a touchdown. 70. I was going to say like 45. Oh, I, I think that I think that callback was a was a very big deal. I, I think fifty five. If you come out and score early like that, um, you you pull into question potentially the whole offensive philosophy that Coastal Carolina brought onto the field that night. Nah, um, I, I think you got to get up two scores to change that. But to your point, you might have gotten up two scores. Well, you do, with that. yeah, because because yeah. when you got the ball not on that drive, but when you got the next time you scored, it was pretty quick. So yeah. you demonstrate the ability yeah. to score quickly a couple of times, and they feel like they're on their heels now. Mm, they feel like that maybe we got to throw the ball a little bit. We got to figure out a way to move the ball faster. Um, it, you might change things a little bit. So I, yeah. I think that that one's a big one for me. And, yeah. And, I, and it felt big when it happened. Okay, you've got me convinced. I'm up to seventies. 70%. Uh, 
Number two on his list was Romney's drop on that big fourth down play. If Romney catches that, what's the percent chance we win? We'll get to the decision here in a second. Is this is this the play, if I remember correctly, is this the one where he had the guy hanging on one arm? No. He was just this what? Is the one where this he is the open. one where he slid and it hit him in the chest. He slid and hit him in the chest and bounced yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. At that point in the game, um, I'm more of like a 20, 20% on that one. Yeah, to me that's not a, as impactful because they came down and scored a field goal, right? Uh, after we turned the ball over on downs. Uh, so that one's not nearly as impactful for me. I, I'm with you on the percentage. Um, you and I went back and forth on this via text. I saw a lot of people making noise on Twitter when the play went down. He had Isaac Rex wide open for the touchdown. He probably could have run, uh, not touchdown, for the first down. For the down. first down. He probably could have run because there's a lot of green space in front of him. That one, I think, Teal is space. a... space. Well, here's the thing. The teal field didn't bother me. I actually, the teal field didn't bother me nearly on the same level as Boise State's blue field. Uh, quite frankly, it, it almost... Way more, it looks way more natural. Yeah, it looked like a standard definition, like sometimes when the color was just bad in the old days. Like, oh, that or looks kind of teal. Or you almost could have convinced me that that's like, that there's grass out there that actually looks like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what do you feel about the decision? I was fine with Zach's decision. He hit the dude in the chest. I mean... Uh, I, you know, yes, he could have hit Rex. It would have been an easier throw and catch, and he possibly could have run for it. Though I think people always think, oh, well, he had lots of space. He could have run for it. Coastal Carolina had a couple of very fast guys on defense. I don't know that it's a given he doesn't get caught from behind before he gets the first down. Maybe. Uh, but I think his, the right decision in both the cases was to throw one to one of those open wide receivers, and he threw to the one that was farther away. Yeah, and and some of that sometimes that's a product of the way the prog- progression is is done out, and we're going to talk sure. about that here when we get a couple plays down. But um, you know, in terms of the decision to make that throw, I, I I do feel like he had an opportunity to just take the first down, and he decided to go for the home run instead. And that's yeah. but you know what, you you live and die by that, and so. You know, you, you you want a guy. You know, Zach's got a little bit of moxie to him. He's got some. He's he's a confident guy, and you and you want him to be that way. Sometimes it's going to work out, and sometimes it's not. But the last thing you want is you know to put somebody like that in a box where they they feel like they can't take those shots. Yeah. Right? So then he's not going to be as good if if he doesn't feel like he can do that. So let's line up Jim McMahon, Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. We'll do those quarterbacks. What does Jim McMahon do? Does he go for the big play or does he throw to Isaac Rodgers? Oh, he throws it over the top, sure. What does Aaron Rodgers do? Big. Oh, he's going to go the big ball. Brett he's actually Favre. probably better with the deep ball. Deep ball. Brett Favre, deep ball. Peyton Manning, he goes short. Yes. Tom Brady probably goes short. Yep. Um, my point is that you just have different kind of quarterbacks that make different decisions, and Zach Wilson is the, in that former category. Right, he is not. He has proven this season that he has a lot of faith in his arm deep, and for good reason. Right, he's completing like some ridiculous percentage of passes yeah, over twenty right? yards. And, and so. think about some of the and some of the situations that he's been in where that he's been able to convert. Yeah, yeah. helped build up that confidence. Right, this individual and play, these receivers. It didn't go, it didn't right? go our way, but they yeah, and they they've caught a lot of passes. 
difficult, um, sometimes very difficult catches. Not that he didn't put the ball where it needed to be, but it was this was an easier catch. And, you know, uh, the look on Romney's face was, I messed up, right? Not, what is Zach thinking? <laughs> no wide receiver ever thinks, why is he throwing it to me? Right, <laughs> I really, I really wish you wouldn't have given me the I mean, ball. I mean, yeah, right? yeah. If you're thinking that, like, I, you need to yeah. go sit down. Yeah, Gunner is not thinking that. Just kicked off the podcast. Gunner's not thinking um, that. Um, but, all right. But you know what's interesting about Zach is you watch him in those situations, and it's interesting to see a guy face because I'm not saying he hasn't faced adversity this year, but the type of adversity he saw Saturday night, it, it was different. And but you know what you didn't see him do? You didn't see him like shrugging his shoulders, like looking at these guys like, oh, you blew it, or any of that. You know what I mean? He, he, just, he, he, he appeared to remain focused for all four quarters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three on his list of six plays is the Hail Mary to end the half. I think that increases our chances to win substantially if they complete that, don't you? Oh, yeah. If that gets completed for a touchdown, I think you're above 50% chance yeah. for a win because you're getting the ball first in the second half. You're going into halftime with all that momentum. Yeah, I oh, think yeah, that's, that's like 70. That's a big deal. Yeah, I think that's big. Um, the Jackson backwards run after the catch. We'll get to a little bit of his decision-making here in a second. But if you're now third and eight instead of third and 30, um, I would say that increases, but that's not one of the big ones on this list. No, it, incre- it increases your chance of getting to that next first down. For sure, for sure. I mean, third and eight right. is way better very, than third and Very, 30. much higher. But, like, does that sing like – to say that you convert that third down, you're going to go down and score the the touchdown that's going to make the difference. That that feels like a little bit of a stretch. But again, it yes, it is definitely increases your probability of winning. It's just not as impactful as some of these others. Decision to punt for it on fourth down with seven minutes to go. That one's a tough one for me. You um, got to go for it. Zach Wilson is your best player. Put the ball in his hands. Go make a play. Your defense has struggled. And you've had a hard time getting the ball back. They're playing keep away. You're going right into their hands there. Uh, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough decision for sure. Um, but, you know, but like 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 the play we were talking about before, like it increases your chances that that possession continues longer. Uh, right. But, you know, and, and then, but there's a lot of variables after that to tell you that this would affect the outcome of the game to the point that you win it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not an above 50%. I mean, that's like a 30 maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 right. Uh, you have to make that fourth down, and then you have to make a bunch of other plays. It's not like these plays that would have resulted in a touchdown had it gone a different way, right? Right. Uh, and then, of course, the last play passed a mil, and it's 100%. Right? Well, yeah. Because <laughs> you win scored. the game. Right. If he gets right. in the end zone. Uh, let's talk about that play for a second. I've seen a couple people say it should have been a hook and ladder or – you know, Milne even admitted that maybe he should have been a little bit deeper. Uh, I I have no problem with the throw. I have no problem with Milne catching it. I don't want to do a hook and ladder there. I, I think there's you, defenders everywhere. The defenders are everywhere. If they get even a sniff of a hook and ladder, you're going to have a guy shading that guy anyway. Um, yes, if it works, it looks perfect. I, I just think that kind of play is really hard to execute without it looking like you're doing it. Um, what I think is that you you gave your best wide receiver the ball inside the five, knowing that getting into the end zone was going to be tough and throwing into the end zone was with all those defenders 
you, I think you had a better probability with the play they ran and how they ran it than some of the other alternatives I've seen out there. It just didn't work. Uh, scoring at, on a play like that is really freaking hard, right? Unless you're the Jets and you just decide to do an all-out <laughs> blitz and leave a rookie cornerback out against a super fast wide receiver. Unless right, you're, but you're, but you're the Jets. Well, and you um, you got fired for for that play right, call as the defensive right. coordinator. So I, I would say I would say I have no problem with the play call. I don't have any problem with where Milne was. Maybe a, another yard deeper, but if he's another yard deeper, somebody's going to hit him as he's catching it. I, I, yeah, so I, I, I think know. that, the, you know, you look at I, I thought Ben Criddle did a really good job of breaking the film down on this play. Yeah, but, he did. And and talking about the progressions, you know, people were people were fired up because Algier looked like was kind of open out in the flats with just plenty of field between him and the end zone. But Zach didn't even look over there because that wasn't the play like Algier flared out because he wasn't needed in pass coverage. Well, OK, maybe he was needed pass in pass blocking coverage, but in, in pass blocking. But as the play progressed, he, you know, and and the and that second and that clock ticks down, he's going out there as a safety valve because that's the way the play is generally designed. Right. Um, but he, that's you know, in that situation, Zach's got to look and he's got basically two reads, and then he's you know, and, and, and he's got to throw the ball. And you you look at Dax and you say, look, this is a guy. You know, he's put some some speed and some weight on in the offseason. We've seen him catch the ball on the fly and break tackles. Yeah. You know that the defense isn't going to let anybody get behind him, right? So your your option other than this is to do like a Hail Mary and let the ball kind of dra- try and drop it down in a bucket in the end zone and hope somebody jumps up to, jumps up to get it. Um, or you give him the ball with a running start and hope he breaks a couple of tackles to get across the goal line. I, I feel like with the decision that was made, you're at least you increase the chance that he gets the football into his hands. And then you give him a shot at getting into the end zone with a Hail Mary, like the odds that he actually comes down with the ball are so low that I, I, anyway, I like, I don't have any problem with, with the play call. I think, yeah, sure. Maybe Dax, maybe, maybe he's another yard closer to the end zone. But the fact of the matter was, is those defenders were all going to stand between the one and the goal line, regardless of where Dax went. Yeah. yeah. They weren't even, quite frankly, they weren't even, they weren't even watching where Mill was. No. Right. They, they they, were watching Zach's eyes in the football. Yeah. They, I mean, they didn't care. I mean, and quite frankly, they were well coached. And I looked at that and I say a bunch of teams could learn by watching the film of where Coastal Carolina put their players. Right. And if you look at the Hail Mary in the first half, they played it also very similarly, right? Like they were all right there on the goal line. Yeah. And if anybody got a little bit behind them, they, they, one or two of them might have shaded off, but like they were protecting the end zone. And yeah. so I think you give yourself the best chance you could to get into the, to get into the ball, you, to get into the end zone. Yeah, you I mean, give, you give it to Dax, you hit him in stride. He's running with, you know, he's got some speed on him and some strength, and you give him a shot at wrestling it in, and it, and it just it didn't go. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks when you. Um, it sucks when you lose, right? And, and it's one yard short. I mean, gut oh, yeah, punch lose. territory. We'll get to that in a second. Jeremy Ashton sent us a couple of emails. He was fired up, as we all were. You can email the show at riseandshoppod at gmail.com. He says, after a seven, my uh, seven-year-old son ran backwards during our family turkey bowl this year, he got an earful from me that you never run backwards to avoid a tackle. Regarding the BYU receiver that ran backwards for 20 yards in the fourth quarter, did he get turned around after the first hit? Mike, I have no idea. I've watched that play now a couple times. I don't think he got turned around. Do you? 
Do you think he thought he was he running he thought, no, the right direction? No. No, no, I think he thought he was going to make a big play. And that's the difference between a football player and a speedster. And I don't mean that in any disrespect to Chris Jackson, but a, a true, like, got your head on, I know what the down and distance and situation is, football player never does that, right? It, that's what a kid in Pee Wee League does because he's so much faster than everybody else. Or maybe even high school that can work if you're that much faster. It, it, that was not going to work against Coastal Carolina, period, right? So he just needed to take the hit and go down or go out of bounds and give Zach and company another chance. Third and 30 is, even for Wilson, is ridiculous. It's a drive, it's a drive killer. And, you know, but I, I think that's uh, a lot of that, though, is difference uh, of experience in big moments. I mean, we're talking about a guy that's had, what, 14 touches? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's played in six games, but he's, you know, he's touched the ball 14 times. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm not trying to hate on the kid. I mean, no, he made he a bad trying, decision. He thought he, he thought he had a window and could get to the edge. And sometimes you get caught up in the moment and then, you know, it's like, it's like the principle of sunk cost, right? Like, okay. Like you just, now is the time to just, you just drop down. Like, okay. You ran backwards six yards. It didn't work out. You dropped down. Yeah. You don't uh, keep he, he, running. He backwards. kept investing in it, thinking he could turn it around. And he's probably at, at different levels where he's played. He's probably been able to pull that off, but it just, it wasn't going to work out uh, against that defense that night. No. Right. So his second, uh, Jeremy's second part of this question, he'll make an appearance later, putting aside the blown plays by the BYU offense and big no calls by the referees, Coastal Carolina seemed better prepared for the game was BYU outcoached. Uh, I usually say if you lose, you're outcoached. I, I think that's usually a safe assumption. I don't think that's always true, um, but I think in this case, BYU was probably outcoached. Uh, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and I'm not trying to give anybody a pass here, right? But you, we agreed to play a football game with 48 hours notice against a, an option defense that is a little, is a different type of option than even we faced earlier this year. Way, way um, different than Navy. Yeah. yeah I, and, I've heard people say, well, we played Navy. Uh, I don't think playing Navy and Coastal same, Carolina is ana- analogous at all. No, I mean, you look at, you know, and, and we joked a lot about, we talked a lot about this this kid they had at center. Um, you know, what is he, 5'9", 285 or something? He played a heck he, of a he, game. He's probably actually 5'8". Um, but you look at the way they were using that guy, right? It was a lot of traps. You know, he's pulling around, leading through the hole, and then they send another lead blocker behind him through the hole. So, like, he'll kick out a tackle or somebody. Then they put some other lead blocker through there. Um, you know, and we were not able to make adjustments. You know, there were... You know situations where you know he would he would pull or or somebody you know gets tangled up with uh, with Kyrus Tonga and then he sees the play developing in a certain direction and he'd try and spin off uh, you know which is a move that typically works for him but because of the way because of the initially at least in the first half the read he was making so his first step would be in a bad direction so he'd go to make that spin move he's out of position and his backs to the line of scrimmage as the ball carriers coming through the hole yeah and so and there were some adjustments you saw them make early in the second half to to that particular problem and a couple other things where it looked like okay we've adjusted the reads that we're making and it looks like we're going to get into position to make some of these stops and it lasted for a drive um and then there you know there were some counter adjustments and and some other play calls made that that we, we weren't able to uh, readjust to. So, yeah, I, I think hats off to their coaching staff. They clearly came in there with a, with a, with a game plan to hold on to the football and, and run it against us, knowing that they were outweighed by tens of pounds per man 
at the line of scrimmage, uh, but understanding that their game wasn't about size. It was about uh, speed and execution and it worked. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Uh, and then I'm going to step away from what I just said about out coached. I think the other problem on the defensive side, I've talked about the offense and we just didn't make enough plays in the end and score enough points, but we also didn't have anybody on defense that created some big plays, right? Uh, yes, Tonga and, and um, let's see, El Bakri had a lot of tackles, right? And um, Will Gar had a couple of nice, uh, nice plays, but we had one tackle for loss the whole game, and it was a sack. We never got their running backs behind the line of scrimmage, or that option stuff behind the line of scrimmage, and that was a big deal, right? We needed. We were out coached, I think, for sure, but we needed somebody to step up and make a couple of big plays to kill drives. And on those important drives, we just couldn't get it done. Right. Um, yep. And that was unfortunate. So, gut punches. Obviously, there's a big gut punch to lose when you're highly ranked. And also, of course, the way that the loss went down. Gary Payne, that's at Fast Break GP on Twitter, says Is this the biggest shoulda, coulda, woulda moment in BYU sports history? i.e. when we play the what-if game 10 years from now, is this tops? By the way, thanks for the extra episode. Need to hear Sh- Chanticleers in a Boston accent. Hashtag tweetbag, hashtag painbag. You want to try that? The Chanticleers. Sa- the Chanticleers. I, I actually, the Chanticleers. I think... I think they t- How about them Chanticleers? Did you see that game on Saturday, the Chanticleers? They played wicked awesome, the Chanticleers. It's fantastic. Um, oh, I hate the Chanticleers. Um... That's not true. I just hate losing. Um, I hate losing, but you know, but they just like anyway. Yeah, they just beat us. They just they just won. Um, no, I don't think this is the biggest. It will definitely be up there. But but here's oh, the geez. thing: I'm not a hundred percent certain what we were playing for. An undefeated season, yes, perhaps right. Uh, with with the the San Diego State game and a bowl game left. I am more and more convinced that we were not playing for a New Year's Six Bowl. It was the only play we had. Oh, no, no. I'm, a, the, right? the, definitely do it. Oh, yeah. We're not going to get into it without the game. So that's what we're playing for is to get ourselves deeper into that conversation. But even had we win that, even if we went out, say we beat Coastal Carolina and beat San Diego State, I that I agree with you. That doesn't guarantee us a New Year's Six Bowl. I, I think the committee has been – they have to give one to the G5. So you can put Cincinnati wherever you want outside of the top four, right? Until they lose. Doesn't matter where you rank them. They're irrelevant because they have to get a New Year's Six Bowl contractually. For everyone else besides the top G5 team, us and the other G5, they're going to keep them out of the top 12, just like they did with Coastal Carolina after beating us. They're not going to put them in the top 12 and give a second team outside of the P5 a New Year's Six Bowl. And I don't think I really got that. I didn't realize how bad this committee would do that. But it's been very clear they are not going to do that. They're getting ready to change their requirements so they can still put Ohio State into the playoff since they may not play another game. Like, this this situation has absolutely revealed what what this really is and how this really works. Yeah, and... You know, shame on me for having thought in my head that they might not do that. Here's the thing on the college football playoff. Ohio State does not belong in the top four. Period. They didn't play enough games. 
I, I don't... They might be the second best team on paper in the land. Sure. They didn't play enough games. And I find the Big Ten to be a bunch of hypocritical losers. They wouldn't let Nebraska play. Talked about integrity and all this bull crap at the beginning. And now they're changing the rules halfway through to say, well, yeah, uh, they sh- they, they ha- they've got enough games. It's been a tough season. Well, you jokers didn't start the year when you should have, and you're paying the price. And if I were any, if I were, you know, the SEC, ACC, Big 12, I'd be saying absolutely no way do they belong in there. Get them out. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but can we talk about coulda, shoulda, woulda moments for a second? Sure. Well, we we have another question on that right All now. Right, I'll wait. So, so wait on that. Um, Dr. Nick sent us a question via email and Facebook. I mean, he wanted to make sure we got this one. All right. Watching Dax Milne go down on the one yard line from the end zone was absolutely heartbreaking. Wait a second. Was he there? I didn't get this the first time I read that. Is he saying he was in the end zone? No. From the end zone. No, no. He was one yard from the end zone. Oh, from the end zone. Not he was... From the end zone seats. I don't right. believe that that's what this says. Now, okay. maybe Dr. Nick was there. There would be what you think. This there. sentence indicates that he was there. All right. I think you're right. All right. I overreacted. After I got down, done drowning myself in the toilet, so he probably was home. By the way, I did a face plant on the floor. I was lying face down on the floor after Melon got tackled. Uh, not a toilet. I was mentally prepared for that moment from like the eight minute mark, but. Anyway, okay. I thought I was that, this... that guy. I was that guy. Where you I was were like, that guy. Yeah, eh, we're going to lose. Glad I didn't watch the game with you, Debbie Downer. I had the thought that this might not be the absolute biggest heartbreak I've ever experienced as a BYU fan. So here's the question. How would you rank Mel getting tackled at the one on Saturday versus other crushing, soul-crushing BYU moments? For me, I put this number one, just slightly ahead of the 2012 Utah game where the Ute fans rushed the field twice before the tying field goal doinked off the uprights. My number three would be Jemmer getting beaten to a pulp by Florida in the 2011 Sweet 16 and just running out of gas in OT. And then he says, any other good soul crushers to add? Uh, I like to forget those things, so I'm not going to play this game. <laughs> I'm trying just, not to. You're just going to ignore it? Listen, there's a bunch, right? There's a bunch. And and it's not just BYU sports. It's any team, if you follow them, will have terrible moments that scar you as a fan, right? It just is. Uh, yes, this is up there. I don't know if it's number one for me, but it certainly is very high on the list because of what was at stake. I mean, yes, it might not have been a New Year's Six, but... Uh, a perfect season would have been pretty sweet. Yeah. So I I can think of a couple. Um, if I think about it in terms of, I, 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 and I don't think about these as moments. I think about them more as games. But a couple that popped in my head really quickly was the UTEP loss in 1985, which I understand I didn't actually watch because I was tiny. But I mean, that's a team, you know. You you. But at the same time, th- with that game, 
Sure, you lost that game. You should have beat a team. It was their only win all year. You were a top-ranked opponent for them. Uh, but even after that loss, we ended up going to the Citrus Bowl to play Ohio State. And you look at even 1996, which, of course, I'm going to invoke. The loss to Washington felt like a real gut punch. But even then, you went on with your one loss to play in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, and I feel like this one's a little bit different because we believed, or some of us believed on some level, that this gave us a shot at a New Year's Six Bowl, and now, the, and now that chance is gone. But, like, the biggest gut punch, like, I think about the couple of games where, like, I couldn't talk to people for a little while afterwards. Um, were, like, 2010 and 2011, the BYU-Utah games, the 54-10 yeah. to 10 loss. Uh, I remember, like, having to go outside for a little bit. Um, you know, that 2000, I think it was the 2010 game. I had to go outside for a good while, you know, at our brother's house, um, and just kind of walk up and down the street. Like I couldn't talk to anybody. Um, you know, and I, I wasn't there. I wasn't quite at that point at, at the end of the coastal Carolina game, just cause I felt like it was a slow punch to the stomach that, mm. that for me started, I, I, cause I'm seeing things and I watching the game with a few minutes left. I'm like, I, I don't think we're, we've got an adjustment that's going to do this. And I was almost proved incorrect, right? Because that last play could have worked. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a painful one. Yeah, one that I thought of, too, was the 1998 WAC championship oh. Oh. against Air Force where we had 29 first downs and they had 11. And we lost 20 to 13 thanks to a 29-yard run with... I forget how much time was left, um, um, you know, and we had a chance to come down there, but we we didn't score. We scored one touchdown in that game in the first in the second quarter, and two more field goals, and that was it. That was a good. There's a bunch. I mean, it's also I was there at that game, which made it worse. Gone to Vegas to with some friends to watch it. It was terrible. All right, enough of the gut-punching crap. Let's talk about other crap, like the play against Zach at the end of the first half. Um, Jeremy Ashton, another email, says, On Sunday, I heard Fast Break GP admit to having a mullet in high school. A lot of people did, uh, Jeremy, if you're of, of a certain age. This being said, I'm sure his loyalty to BYU outweighed his ro- loyalty to mullets on Saturday afternoon. What should have been the p- penalty called at the end of the first half, and could this call have changed the outcome of the game? So Matt, you you posted this what you thought the penalty should be during halftime, I think. Yeah, so uh the, the the years ago, the powers that be both at the college and NFL level uh looked at this exact problem and put some rules in place to avoid this precise scenario, which is a quarterback, you know, who, who is, you know, the, the the leader of the offense becomes a punching bag. Um, on uh, on an interception return. And if you look at the, the NCAA rule book, I, there, there might be other places where this is addressed, but I, the place that was that was the clearest for me was um, was where you, know, you talk about targeting is going after the he- the neck or head uh, sh- I think it's shoulder neck and head area or neck and head area of a defensive of a defenseless player. And the quarterback on a turnover, is by definition, just by virtue of the fact that he is the quarterback and the ball just was turned over, is called a defenseless player. And if he's and if he's away from the action, you cannot touch him above the shoulders. 
and uh, and it doesn't it doesn't matter what part of the body you're touching him with. It is you cannot strike him above the shoulders. So and and if you go back and watch that, uh, that I mean these guys basically they did exactly what that rule what the rules are designed to prevent. Well, I think thirty fours. I think thirty fours hit was clean. Yeah, well, he you know grabs him. It's but it's a hold. I. Yes, it's a hold. He it's a hold, shirt. That's a but hold. it's not a dirty play, right? He's just blocking a guy, and it happened to be the quarterback. Ninety-four is trying to injure somebody. He's absolutely, his head. he's going to pile drive his head into the ground. It's Twice. the only reason he does what he does is to try to knock Wilson out of the game. I mean, there's absolutely. no football reason to do what he was doing. Zero, and Z- Wilson was making no effort to go after the return man. Zero, yeah. um, before or after he was engaged. And I don't so I, like, I, a- I don't like the justification of well Wilson should have backed away and gotten out of the way. I hate that kind of crap. That no, like that's like, the, that's victim like the victim is to that's, blame, that's right? That's, that's I, that whole train of thought is stupid. If somebody does something bad, that's their fault. Yes, could Wilson have gone towards his sideline and avoided this? Sure, right? But Wilson's a competitive guy. He just threw an interception. You know, he's thinking maybe I'm the last guy and I could make a play to keep him from the end zone. And instead, he gets absolutely mugged. So, as you said, so the penalty should have been called. I, I think you call that as a penalty. It's it's at the very least a personal foul. If you do call it as a targeting, that guy's ejected from the game. He's not in there in the second half to recover the fumble. or Cause the fumble. Yes, cause the fumble. Um, the Sunbelt Conference likely doesn't name him defensive player, <laughs> whatever that garbage is. So I, I think that that does have a real a, a real uh, impact on the game. But one thing I did find interesting is that the the referees and everybody justified this by saying, "Oh yeah, that was a clean play." But if the referee actually felt like it was a clean play, why did he jump in in between the two players before the whistle was blown? Uh, that is an excellent. There's no way he thought it was clean. If he was getting involved before the play was done, he was on the ground trying to get in between these two guys. If he felt like that was clean, why did he do that? So uh, I I, I think that's absolute garbage. I feel like it's home cooking officiating. If I were Tom Homo, I I would have been on the phone with the AD at Coastal Carolina, the president at Coastal Carolina, who he had talked to before the game, who's a BYU alum and is coming in and wants us to keep playing each other. And I would have been on the phone with the commissioner of the Sun Belt saying, Do I, am I, why would I be interested? in playing a game with any of your officials ever again. Ever. And that those are the conversations yeah. I'd be having. I mean, you could have ended a young man's career on a, on a blatantly cheap shot. There's, you know, I've come to terms with a lot of stuff that happened in the football game Saturday night. This one, I cannot wrap my head around. No, um, there's this, no justification. Just blatant non-football violence. Um, and it, 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 there's just, there is no room for that in the sport. And no. that kid should have been ejected and suspended. Well, and that's the part that the Sunbelt Conference is going to celebrate him as the defensive player of the week, which uh, is just. Yeah, garbage. that's the part that bothers me, Matt, more than anything. And I know I'm probably in the minority here because it just doesn't happen very often is I think coaches and ADs should step in in these situations and make examples of these kids when they do something like this. And, and that would be true. I feel the same way whenever a BYU player does something cheap like the, you know, the nut punch, and a few other things. Nut punch was a garbage play. Absolutely garbage. garbage. Should be suspended. You know, you can't do that stuff. Like, you know, and I think after he late hit Zach in the third quarter, I I think at that point, if you're the refs, like, 
come on, guys. Like, you, you're, you've lost total control. So anyway, we've talked about this enough. Even if they hadn't called the first play a targeting and just assessed a personal foul, the second personal foul would have would have disqualified him. Yeah. So, I mean, it's but it's the refs were making no effort to control that game, which is why you ended up in fisticuffs. Yeah, yeah, for right? sure. Because that wasn't the first thing that had happened. You know, but later in the game, you know, a guy gets up in Zach's face and he, you know, forcefully put I didn't I'm not going to say he took a swing at the guy, but he he pushed him. Well, you've you know? got to You've But he's got to protect himself yeah, at yeah, that point. I mean, yeah, he, yeah, he, at that point. Yeah, yeah, at that point. He's gotta he's gotta do that. So anyway, we've talked enough about this one and it's been rehashed a thousand times. So let's move on. We've got a few other questions before our San Diego State preview. Uh rest of the season beyond. Russell Caldwell sent us something on Facebook. I love the guy, but is Kalani a little too willing to go for it on fourth down? And he does a bunch of other stuff um kind of about that. Um Hashtag tweet bag. I'll say this. I have no problem with any of the fourth downs he went for it on. Play calls, think, perhaps, but not the decisions. Well, I, th- I think that generally coaches should probably go for it more on fourth down than they do. Um, but what's interesting about this is, you know, as a fan base, I realize we don't, we all, we disagree on some things, but we can't have this both ways, right? He should have gone for it on the fourth with, with the seven minutes to go, but he shouldn't have gone for it here. I mean, we, you you got to just it it is what it is like this is who he is and this is how he coaches and and but what's funny is Russell says this but you talk to some other fan he'll say oh, I think he doesn't go for it on fourth down enough so you know it's all it's it, we see these things you know with an individual player an individual event sometimes skews our perception of these things but I, like you I don't know that I have I'm I'm gonna take umbrage with uh I the, the decision to punt I I would have done that one differently I'll, I'll say that one. Um, yeah. but I'm not going to sit here and, 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 and say that, you know, any of these things are, are too much or, or indicative of some philosophy problem with Kalani Sataki. Cause I, I don't feel that way. Well, and the other part is we, you have to judge the process, not the results. Right. And I think that's really hard for us as fans, but it's a really important principle that it was the decision good or bad versus was the result good or bad. Cause those are not the same. And people will argue with me, and we've had even people send this in going, no, the results are the the deal. No, it's it's whether, you've in this case, we have one of the best offenses in football this year. Go for it on fourth down and short is is a high, high probability play, right? As opposed to years past where sometimes I got frustrated with him when our offense wasn't very good. And a fourth and three at the 50, I'm like, uh, we're not even at, we're barely averaging three yards of play. <laughs> Maybe this is time to punt, right? Um, but anyway, so Simon Pickup makes a triumphant return to the tweet bank. All right. Dear Rise and Shout podcast, now that we have no chance of going to a New Year's Six Bowl, thanks, Simon. Um, would it be a good idea? Like Simon's fault? Like, yeah, I'm blaming Simon right now. I'm okay. just kidding, Simon. I'm not blaming you. Um, would it be a good idea to schedule Utah? We don't need the strength of schedule anymore. This game would be a great game because the streak would probably end and Zach Wilson would be on the top of this of would be one of the top seven quarterbacks all time at BYU because it'd be Utah. I think he's one of the top seven quarterbacks anyway, Simon, but we'll get to that at the end of the year. Uh, and then he talks about the what if scenario. Uh, he mentions losing Brandon Davies, Luke Staley, being lost, which I don't think is actually a big what if. 
we get we get destroyed. We get beat by uh, Hawaii regardless. <laughs> we scored a bunch of points. You and I have talked about that on the show. Uh, but the Brandon Davies one is for sure real. Um, but going back to his original question, would you want to schedule Utah for December 19th? I'd play anybody. I'd play anybody who's got the open date and wants to play yeah, us that day. I'd agree, and the Utah one would be a good way for Zach to go out. Speaking of that, Dustin Call, and thank you, Simon, for your question. Dustin Call asks an interesting question, Matt, off of Twitter. Does this make it more likely that Zach Wilson comes back, meaning the loss to Coastal Carolina, gives him a chance to beat Utah, be in the Heisman conversation from the beginning of the year, and try for another college football playoff season? So great question, Dustin. I'll answer this first and give you a chance, Matt. Uh, I don't think it increases the likelihood that he comes back. I don't know anything about his intentions. But if he's going to be a top 15 player in the draft, you go. Regardless of all the other stuff you just talked about. But he is right that he'd get a chance to beat Utah. And I think we'd go in the favorite to that game. Uh, He would be in the Heisman conversation from day one. And if he played at a high level again, he could, I don't know if he's got a good chance of winning it, but he's way better than he had this year because he started from basically nowhere, right? And the last one, though, BYU has no chance of getting in the college football playoff ever. Right? So Yeah, and I didn't even think, look, if you look at the schedule even next year, I don't know. That based on what I think we would do this year, even next in the 2021 schedule, even with Zach Wilson, does that put us in a New Year Six? I'm not. I'm not even. No, sure we're going to lose one of those point. games. We're going to sure. going undefeated is so freaking hard as we learned this year, right? And all this bull crap about all top 25 teams would go undefeated with BYU season. That's those people true. are morons. Going undefeated is a hard thing to do to play this many games. In this environment, especially in this environment, but to play this many games, I mean, it just doesn't happen very often. Just people, you lose. You lose games you shouldn't lose. Almost every team does it every year, except if you're Alabama or Clemson. Um, but even Alabama's done it, right? In the past, uh, not this year yet. But that's a great question, Dustin. Do you think, think it he that this increases the chance that Zach comes back? No. Yeah, I, 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 sure, he'd get a chance to beat Utah. I, I'm, I, I've mixed response to this idea about him getting into the Heisman conversation. Getting into the Heisman conversation two years in a row and not winning it isn't helpful for your NFL prospects. So, oh, no. yeah. I, 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 and I don't think the college football playoff opportunity is real. Uh, so none of this helps him in terms of the decision-making to get to the NFL, the stuff that really needs to factor into his calculus for that. Uh, so, no, I, I don't think this changes anything for him. I, I yeah. think he's going. So Jeff Johnston's got our last question of the day that's at GOFJBYU. He says, you think adding a 12th game likely seems like it would be fun for fans and for players. And again, that's that December 19th date, Matt. So I'll let you answer this one first. Do you think it's likely a 12th game is added? I actually think that it is. I, I think there's a lot of teams that have had several games canceled and are going to be given an opportunity by their conference. They're going to be allowed to just go ahead and schedule a game that week. Um, you know, they're not going to a conference championship and, and those types of situations, but but still want to play a game because they've only played three times this year or something. So I, I think there's going to be some opportunity there. I think that Tom Homo is continuing to work the phones on it. Um, you know, we look. You know, you look back over the last couple of weeks. I think he's tried to re- put himself in a position to be, be available. 
uh, to play these games when when opportunities were real. So I, I think that it's it is likely actually that we pick up another game. It's interesting that you say that. I do not think it's likely, and here's here's why I think that. Uh, two two reasons. I think yes, you're absolutely right that there are teams that would like to add another game. And I think BYU would be willing to do this. But I think there's two things that work against them. Number one, I don't know if it's going to be a good matchup or like logistically to make that happen and whether the teams will... We're seeing a lot of teams pack it in, right? seems like UVA's done. Other teams are done, right? So it may not. there may not be as many opportunities. But the other piece to me is bowl games. BYU is no longer in in it for New Year's Six or a really cool bowl game. So here's the problem. What bowl games are they going to be in? The Frisco Bowl is on the 19th. The Potato Bowl is on the 22nd. Uh, I've seen them connected to the Liberty Bowl, which is a little bit later. But the problem is they won't know the bowl and, and therefore... I guess the Liberty Bowl. Did that one get canceled too? They seem to be dropping like that. I have to look and see. They do seem to be dropping out. But there's several bowls that are within less than a week of the 19th that BYU could be in play for. And I think that makes it problematic for BYU to play on the 19th without knowing what their bowl assignment is going to be. Now, give you a scenario. Say you're that you get an early invite to a bowl that's beyond a week from the 19th. Right. I think in those cases, yes, you take it, right? But Well, but but I let's say this. What if you're ESPN and you own all the bowls and you know BYU has an opportunity to play a game on the 19th as long as you can wait and put them in, let's say, the Liberty Bowl on the 30th, 31st, whenever that game's played? If you're ESPN, wouldn't you prefer to have BYU play two games? Oh yeah, for sure. I think you. Yeah, so yeah, I you want you the inventory. Yeah, I think you try and work it because you want the inventory. Yeah, yeah I, I, the the problem is I don't. ESPN has a lot of control. They don't have ultimate control, right? Because they and the other part is they have to balance with us and their relationships with the conferences, right? True. Um, True. As they make those bowl matchups, but you know, yes, I, I I don't think it's likely, but I definitely think it's possible. And to your point, I think Tom Homo is out there working the phones and trying to figure out the best thing. And I'm sure the players seem eager to keep this special season going. And let's not, let's not, despite all of the negativity we've had in the show about the Coastal Carolina game, this is still a, if you had told me that you could get this season in August, that we could get this and we would be a top 20 team and potentially have the chance to finish with one loss you're going to take that 99, no, 100 times out of 100, right? Yeah, of course. Of course, versus not having a season or being a yeah. mediocre team and losing yeah, three or on. four of these games, losing to Boise, Houston, Navy, and 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 Coastal Carolina, right? Yeah, come on. Yeah, this, I mean, clearly. So so let's not get I mean right. this is still let's an awesome have a season. Per, let's yeah, let's have some perspective here guys. Like this has been a great season. This has been yeah. a ton of fun. We got punched in the stomach Saturday. We we got stunk. we got kicked in the teeth. It's stunk. All right. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. 
But this is still better than 75, 80, maybe 90% of every BYU season you and I have ever watched the team. Correct. They've These guys have put together one of the most fun seasons of BYU football I've ever, ever watched. And the best since so yeah, we like started this gonna, podcast. I'm not going to sit here and complain and call everybody into question and then call everybody into question about what happened Saturday night. We got beat. Yeah, we got, we got beat. beat. It happens. Uh, but this is the best season since we started this podcast 10 years ago. And that's not even for a debate, right? I guess 2011 when they were 10 and 3. But, I mean, which one would you rather have, the 2011 season or this one? Uh, this has been pretty fun. Uh, did we have a Heisman candidate in 2011? No. Did we win? Uh, we did win 10 games in that season, and that was pretty cool. And it was a fun season, uh, relatively speaking. Um, and Riley Nelson was, if nothing else, highly entertaining. But so I, entertaining. but we did not, as good as Cody Hoffman was this year, that year, we didn't have anybody playing at Milne's level on, on this, or, or even Algiers level either that year. Some good players, but not, not at that level. You know, and even if you look at the schedule, like that year, you think, oh, well, you know, this schedule's so lame, like. You look at that schedule. I mean, these weren't world beaters. You know what I mean? Like, oh heck yeah, no! I'd, I'd, I'd have to look at Sagar and how Sagar had rated this schedule and what these teams were actually looked like in 2011. I'd want to refresh my memory on on a couple of these, like like Oregon State or UT or Utah. I mean, well, the Utah game that was insanity. But um, you know, in that old Miss game, that was fun. I mean, that was this was a good season, but. I don't think you know. I just would hate for somebody to look at the 2020 season and compare it to this one and just say, "Oh well, you know, this 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 just the schedule is so much better." I mean, it may be moderately better. Yeah, I, I, th- uh, 2011 was actually, according to Sports Reference, a worse schedule than I mean, than 2020. Idaho, Idaho State, UCF at the time. This this wasn't this is UCF before they won a national championship. Correct. Correct. Uh, you know. So I, you know, the, your good teams here were probably UT, Utah, TCU. You know, I, so anyway. But I mean, you had a, it. I, wasn't I, a great like, schedule. Been, it was a terrible this schedule. Has been just as much fun, if not more. And and to your point, in terms of strength strength of schedule, maybe a better season. This could be the best one in the last ten years. Oh, I think it's the best one in the last ten years. Easy. It's the best team and season we've had since two thousand nine. I don't think that's even debatable. The 2011 schedule head head. was terrible. Head to head, do they lose to any team we've fielded since 2009? No. Yeah, I think you're right. No, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's particularly close. I think they blow out some of these teams by three scores. Right. Yeah, I think we we yeah we've just got to take some inventory here and appreciate what we have. I mean, we've got. Yeah, we've got this incredibly gifted quarterback. We've got a we got guys on the line that are going to the league, even though they didn't play their best game Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. Again, um, again, yeah. I mean, this you this. I mean, the the season's not done yet, so you can't finish. You got to rate the body of work in its in in its totality. But this still, if you trust the analytics, might be the best team we've had since the eighties. Right, and I get people will say, "Well, no, 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 in 2010 and 2009, we had a better win." But you get then you guys are falling into the same stupid trap the college football committee did, right? Which is, oh, you have to have a quote unquote good win as opposed to kicking the crap out of mediocre teams, right? And I get it, 
why people think that way, but that is not how in modern analytical football teams are evaluated, right? That is a very old school eyeball approach to it. And, and the college football playoff committee proved tonight that they're, that they're quite frankly lunatics. I mean, the rankings are insane. How does Iowa State go up? Right? Like, why are they in love with Iowa State? I just don't, I don't get it. They leapfrogged Cincinnati. Cincinnati would be an eight-point favorite in that game. Right? They've got it. They've got to. They've got to push Cincinnati back. It's just they need stupid. To push them back a little bit. Cincinnati like, would dominate it, it says, them. This has nothing to do with evaluating quality of football. It just doesn't. But but I think perhaps and, and if you and if you look at this and don't understand that, if you look at what these guys are doing and you don't understand or agree with that, then you're just not you're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, they clearly aren't. All right, well, let's finish here with our very short preview of San Diego State. Matt, uh, BYU is a 16 point favorite. Do you like that line, or are you taking the Cougars in that line? Uh, I take the Cougars to cover a 16 point spread. I do barely. Are you taking an over under at 49 and a half? Um, oh, crud, I didn't do the math. I'm taking the under. I'm taking the over. Taking the over. Interesting. Uh, here's the key for me on this game, Matt. San Diego State is a decent team. Okay, they're not terrible, but they're not particularly good. They're about they're, they're mediocre. They have a terrible offense, according to Football Outsiders, 114th. That is atrociously bad, right? But like Brady Hoke teams, despite the fact that I just realized he was the coach. Uh, like a lot of Brady Hoke teams, they have a very good defense. And they are 13th, according to Football Outsiders, uh, in defense. So that puts them on par with how our defense has played this year. Uh, I'm predicting our offense does enough, does better than they did against Coastal Carolina. Um, but the, uh, and but really the story is that San Diego State can't move the ball very much. 30-13 to 13 BYU. So I, I think we're looking at pretty pretty similar outcomes here. Um, I think B, I don't think this game is ever particularly close. Um, I think it'll look closer than it really is um, at the end of the day. Um, I, I don't know that they have an answer for anything that we do on offense, and I'm not particularly worried about um, about our defense taking care of them. So I see BYU coming out on top here, 35-17. All right. Well, hopefully next week we're talking about a. Uh much happier result and potentially talking about another game or have a better read on what the bowl game situation might be, Matt. Here we are a week after losing and we've got a 70 minute podcast. Of course we do. There was a lot to talk about. Heck, a lot we, to talk about. we had two podcasts last week, which is pretty amazing. We're, um, just, we're just podcasting machines. If, oh, here's my other prediction for uh, the gaming at San Diego state sure. is that Algier hits the 1000 yard mark on the season. So we didn't talk about this, but we will in future shows. Uh, I'm seeing it all over the Twitter machine where Milne and Algiers seasons rank. We obviously will also talk in the offseason about where Zach Wilson's season ranks among quarterbacks. But I think all three of them, it's going to be a fun discussion about where that season ranks in BYU history at that position. 
It'll be fun to talk I mean, about. Where Zach Wilson with his 27 to 3 touchdown interception ratio would fit in in the pantheon of BYU quarterbacks. Or Dax uh, Milne, if he continues what he's doing, especially if they got a 12th game, he's going to statistically uh, get one of the best seasons ever, right? Um, yeah. This, it'll, be, it'll, it'll be a fun conversation for sure. An amazing conversation. Well, anyway, thank you all for downloading and listening. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash rise and shop and become a patron for the rise and shop podcast. Like our good friend, Justin Sweeney. Um, did you say Sweeney yet? Sweeney. There you go. The original Sweeney who we honored his father, Doug early in the show. Well, thanks everybody again. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, and we will catch you next time. Go Cougars.